Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss beware of threat actors bearing GIFs. Next up, walking on log4shell vulnerabilities, a look at log4j. And of course, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 106, recorded on December 20th, 2021. I'm your co-host, Kelsey. There's nothing new under the pun, LaBelle. With me, co-host Tim, log for shelming. And last but not least, Taylor. And I'm going to bring in the chorus here, if, if, if we might. Um, should I, should I count you two in? Sure. Count us in. All right. I'm going to give you a three, two, and then we'll come in on one. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Has everyone done their vocal warmups? Me, 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 You, 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 you. All right. Three, two. It's. It's log for Jay. It's log for Jay. It's better than bad. It's worse. It's worse. Wilkes Pierce. That was definitely the most complicated and awesome co-host <laughs> intro that we've done to date. We're going to have can, to just make an even more elaborate one sometime in the future. That will be, it will end up being the entire episode. That's where we'll get the <laughs> oh, intro. Oh, yeah. The soon person's be. <laughs> name will be the, like, the last thing that you say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. gosh. Well, for those who don't know that lovely tune, what, what was that, Taylor and Tim? Uh, well, that was the log commercial from Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> log uh, from Blamo. From Blamo. There you go. It's better than bad. It's good. <laughs> Except for log for j is uh, it's better than bad. Just worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we took one week off and the internet fell apart. So sorry about that. I think uh, it might be our fault here at Breaking Badness. <laughs> it's the only thing that makes sense. Um Causation and correlation, definitely the same in this circumstance. Absolutely. 100% attributed attributed to lack of breaking badness. And uh, somebody had a little bit of a fit, I'd say. And here we are. Use their time doing other things. Tisk, tisk, tisk. Well, but before we talk about the dumpster fire... <laughs> <laughs> that is log4j. There's no there's no other way to put it. Um let's let's talk about some other interesting information that came out in this last week, which is this beware of threat actors bearing gifs or gifs, depending on what you prefer. Um and so earlier this year, Citizen Lab managed to capture an NSOI message-based zero-click exploit. Um the goal of that was to use as many hyphens as possible mm -hmm. in a sentence, and I think I achieved it. Um, and so this, this iMessage-based zero-click exploit um, was used to target Saudi activists. And in a recent blog by Google's Project Zero, they walk through how the exploit of a zero-click iMessage works in the wild. Um, and so before we really get into that exploit, I think it's always helpful to level set with everybody here. And uh, one of the items from that intro that I think would be helpful to just resurface is what exactly the NSO group is. Yeah, there's a number of key players here in this story. Uh, NSO group kind of being the, the core at the heart of it, as they're the ones that are doing all of the breaking and entering into folks' phones. Uh, but the NSO group is an Israeli technology firm that focuses uh, on essentially selling surveillance services to uh, what appears to be a list of nation state actors or nation state groups uh, that, that would gain these capabilities to uh, basically use their uh, surveillance packages against the, the phones of the folks they want targeted. Um, so the NSO group has been working at this for some time now. They have you know, what appears to be a, a, a pretty large stable of zero-day vulnerabilities uh, for 
iOS for uh, Android uh, in a number. And so they, they kind of break these out um, to use in their operations. And the folks that hire them, hire them out and use them to uh, what appears to be against lots of dissidents and journalists and, and human rights activists. And, and so uh, that's where the NSO group stands. On the other side of it, we have the Citizen Lab folks who do a lot of research in this area uh, on behalf of the folks that are getting targeted by the NSO group, it seems here. Uh, and then we've also got the Google Zero Day team uh, working in conjunction with Citizen Lab and Apple as well in this case, uh, when they pulled this sample of uh, of uh, the NSO group's Pegasus spyware off of uh, somebody's device. Yeah, and actually at the beginning of that blog post that's uh, tagged here on our article page or show notes, whenever you're able to take a look, um, there's a little like thank you section from the, the Project Zero folks. And they definitely, as you say, Taylor, give quite a bit of love to Apple. And that is what gives me hope for the world. Google Not something and you Apple see every day. <laughs> working together. <laughs> Well, the Project Zero folks at Google have, uh, you know, a pretty wide open mission, right? So, um, you know, this becomes important uh, for them because this stuff is really, uh, you know, helpful in terms of sussing out other other vulnerabilities uh, and and looking for entry points into devices like this. Um, But then, you know, also, it's just really interesting, (laughs) even aside from all that. So, uh, yeah, the, the Google team here worked hand in hand with the Apple folks. Uh, for collaborating on the technical analysis. Whenever folks at Apple are keeping an eye on infrastructure or any number of indicators, do you think their internal tool has a function called iWatch or is that too on the nose? (laughs) Uh, You know, they have the Apple Watch as a product. I don't know that they would uh, have both of those internally. Well, that's why they used Apple Watch externally because they didn't want to create any confusion with their internal mm. tool, iWatch. Obviously, that's what they prioritize. <laughs> <laughs> One came first, clearly. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um, that's a part of their core competency model, I'd say, with the the Apple team. Um, absolutely. Well, have any of, going back to this conversation here, um, and very well summarized there, Taylor, with all of the different players in this story has has the nso been showing up in the news recently are there any other quite a um, bit times yeah yeah Yeah. uh it is not a great time to to be nso which uh you know (laughs) thoughts and prayers uh yeah they've been getting busted uh you know for uh, more recently, showing up in some diplomats' phones, uh, you know, like they they promised a lot of discretion in how their stuff would be used and targeted by their customers. It appears that that was not the case, and I think that for most of us out here, you know, we we took a lot of their stuff with a grain of salt when they were talking about this to begin with. So I, I you know, nobody's particularly surprised at this stuff, but it does seem to be snowballing for them, uh, you know, in terms of market impact for them. Uh, and they've been called out, you know, not only I mean, the, the Facebook team has called them out about, sorry, the meta team, uh, they called them out. And then also the state department called them out. So yeah, they've been in a bit of hot water lately. <laughs> oh my, oh my. Uh, yeah. And it, as you mentioned quite a bit earlier that it sounds like the NSO has a knack for selling capabilities. Um, and you mentioned Android devices in particular, and then Citizen Lab went and managed to grab an, uh, an iMessage-based zero-click exploit. And so there's been significant opportunities to research and understand this particular vulnerability and exploit. So what exactly did the Citizen Lab folks, Google Project people discover? And what was the initial entry point in this type of attack? Yeah, this is an interesting one. So again, it's it's zero click, which makes it particularly dangerous, right? There's no, it's not like, hey, get better at spotting phishing links and don't click on it. It is, oh, we are going to exploit the way that iOS and iMessage kind of handle incoming messages and handle 
uh, parsing of media files off of those messages. And so uh, what they found here, what they discovered here, now this is there's gonna be a two part write up. So we're focusing on part one, although there is kind of a very mind blowing thing in part one that was very um, worth its own blog post <laughs> from just like what they did. Uh, but you know, in terms of the initial exploit chain, like they will essentially send a device, uh, a link for uh, uh, a GIF uh, or a GIF, if you prefer. Uh, and at that point, the device starts to parse that image. Uh, prior to this exploit being patched, uh, this parsing happened outside of uh, what Apple terms as something like Blastor, which is their sandbox environment for iMessage uh, that is kind of designed to prevent this type of stuff. But the NSO team uh, would send uh, a GIF file. That GIF file uh, would then turn out to be something else altogether. So, um, you know, in, in this case, I believe it was um, something called a, a, J, a JBIG2 file, which is a really interesting uh, old, old, old compression uh, format for PDFs to take uh, like text on a page and then compress it down uh, to just a couple of kilobytes as a PDF and then uh, send that around. So some interesting compression techniques that work there. But essentially because the iMessage, uh, the image parser for those incoming messages was happening outside of, uh, of their sandbox, it, you know, the exploits there could then gain a lot of privilege access to the device uh, that makes life easier for them. Now, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they think you might think like, okay, well, this is kind of step one of this process, right? So step one is to set, to send the file, to break the image parser, and then the image parser itself uh, on this kind of antiquated uh, imaging format does a couple of things. One, it does uh, glyph kind of recognition. So, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not OCR in any way, shape or form, but it can look at similar uh, glyphs and try to break those down. And so, uh, you know, in this kind of very old format, it will take, say, a single E and say, well, this is an E. We'll take all the other instances of things that look like E uh, and then break them down to this E. And then we'll remember the locations of where all, all the E's were. Uh, and then when we go to reconstitute the image, we'll just repopulate it with kind of the uh, kind of singular E that we determined to be E uh, in this case. And then also, uh, you know, we'll send these send these letters back to where they belong in our, uh, in our representation of them. Uh, and then also this image format, uh, this compression format had the ability to store kind of minor differences in between the glyphs uh, to help give you some options to restoring uh, the, the the letters properly in, in a more fully formatted uh, restoration of the letters. So, uh, you know, there, there were some kind of logical operators that happen inside of the compression format that allow it to uh, make some kind of basic decisions around uh, what version of a glyph it wants to put out there. Uh, and in that process flow, our NSO friends <laughs> use that to essentially define a small uh, virtual machine <laughs> inside of this kind of uh, decompression workflow. Uh, and so they, you know, <laughs> they made your iPhone dream up a virtual machine while it was uh, quote unquote kind of decompressing an old image file. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> By the way, I don't know if you call out this terminology directly, Taylor, but I know in uh, Google Projects or uh, Project Zero's uh, actual blog, they they call this extreme compression. Mm -hmm. And that just sounds like CrossFit gone wrong to me. A little it bit. feels very 90s to me. Like, I'm sure that there's Do like, uh, so? <laughs> I think there's some neon <laughs> colors and like a BMX bike. <laughs> mm. Ooh, like the kind you get to play with your fingers, like the little, um, you could get little skateboards for your, like the fingerboards. Do you know what I'm talking but about? There's definitely snap bracelets involved. Those. I know that. <laughs> I, I'm just thinking of hot rod engines with extreme compression. Extreme compression. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot that can be done with that. Um, <laughs> anyway, Taylor, that your response there answered so many of my questions. 
um, about this vulnerability and how it could be achieved. It sounds quite sophisticated what they're able to accomplish here. It's absolutely wild. Uh, the amount of work that went into this is is just incredible. Uh, to again to trick your computer into essentially dreaming up another computer <laughs> uh, uh, is wild. It's you know it's really really fragile. I'll say it does seem like you know this is a very specific thing. Um, you know maybe may that this is. Uh, they have a bunch of these for all these different old image formats. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it is it is super specific to, to this particular image format uh, and compression format as well. What does this all mean in practice? And how, I mean, how concerned are you about now having direct knowledge about this particular exploit? You know, I think this has always been a, a high touch operation, right? Anytime you're like, it's not, it's not something you can just kind of blast out there and like we'll talk about playing Logboard, right? It's not something where you're able to like scan everybody's iPhones around you and then, you know, send out an exploit. This is highly targeted. Um, you know, so from a like, hey, are you, should you be worried about this perspective? If you're not kind of on the target list for these folks, uh, then, then probably not. You wouldn't necessarily put this in your threat model. From a like, I didn't know you could do this perspective. It is pretty wild. Uh, yeah, I, you know, it's kind of where I sit on it. <laughs> I feel like they're after you next, Taylor. I don't think you give yourself enough credit. I think you're they're going to be list. very bored. They're going to end up with lots of toddler <laughs> pictures. It is a global <laughs> pandemic, you know, so it's uh, they, they need some some happy things to look at, maybe potentially as well. <laughs> well so keep in mind, so there's going to be a part two to this post, right? So this was getting into the how of the initial uh, entry point onto the device and, and giving us uh, some information on to kind of how the heck they did some of this stuff. Because a lot of this stuff around NSO and, and iOS devices in particular is so shrouded in mystery, right? It's not like we're getting samples to look look at on a regular basis uh or, you know that we have a good understanding of how this stuff works at all we it's all kind of a, a black box mystery for us so when we hear stuff like zero click and exploit and, and you know enabling surveillance state you know this is really into the nitty-gritty of how they do it uh and this is some of the first look at we've had at that from from ios so it's, it's really interesting yeah certainly worth keeping an eye on and it's you know it's likely or potentially likely we will not cover that second part. So be sure to tune in yeah. to Project Zero um, and, and keep an eye there. Uh, Taylor, your conclusion there, I think, uh, about who should be concerned segues quite well into our hoodie rating system, which mm -hmm. is that zero to 10, 10 being terrible, zero being not so bad, and um, the hoodie rating playing specifically at the cliche of the hacker. And so how many defenders does it take to essentially remediate or enumerate uh, said said article or uh, conversation of the week. So with all that in mind, Tete, where do you put this at on that rating scale? I mean, it's got to be pretty pretty low, all things being considered. I mean, it is, again, wild <laughs> that it exists. And it is, uh, you know, it's like if you see someone like build uh, like a computation machine in Minecraft, it's, it's like, man, that's really, really impressive. Um, you spent a lot of time on that. <laughs> But, you know, ultimately, you're not going to use that to load up a web browser, I don't think. I don't know. <laughs> I guess for me, like, um, you know, from a technical, like, hey, from a, it's 10 out of 10, right? 11 out of 10. It's it's wild. From a, like, hey, as a defender, do you got to worry about this? You know, one out of two out of 10? I don't know. Super low. Um, but, yeah, just just absolutely wild. <laughs> Tim, what what do you think about this from the defender perspective? What would you rate it at? Yeah, I. It's interesting. From the, I kind of take a different perspective on this, and I would rate this a little higher, like maybe five hoodies, in the sense that um, this is definitely some muscle flexing by NSO and what it portends for potential use or misuse really by governments in democracy harming ways, I think from a geopolitical point of view is, uh, is pretty scary, you know, that, that we're seeing it used against journalists and we, we're going to see more of this. And so I find that kind of scary. I totally agree that for the average defender, um, this is probably like zero to one 
hoodies um, because you're not going to run across this in your organization, most likely. So I just like the geopolitics or NATSEC uh, or or democracy supporting side of me uh, finds it scarier than the technical part. So, sure. so five, five geopolitical hoodies, zero <laughs> uh, uh, or zero to one technical hoodies. <laughs> ah, the geopolitical hoodie, our name brand hoodie for sure. Um, <laughs> well, thank you, Taylor, for your analysis there. It'll be, like you said, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on their follow-up posts there from, um, Google's project and we'll, we'll see where it takes us, but Absolutely. yeah. And with that, I mean, we would be not doing our, our work for the people. If we did not talk about log 4 J, um, which by the way, that is the gif and gif of the security internet. It seems like right now. Oh, I was going to say we had a, you know, we were in total holy war territory there without really acknowledging it with gif <laughs> and gif. Uh, I happen to be on the GIF side of that fence. Um, you know, as I understand it, the person who invented it said it's supposed to be pronounced that way, but many people still persist with GIF. I, you know, I always thought that because it stood for graphical interchange, like it was a GIF based off of that. But I guess by that logic could be Griff. Hmm. 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 Jeff is just a peanut butter to me. <laughs> Jeff will always be a peanut butter first. I'm sorry. I've got the corner on that. Um, this just reminds me of a story I remember hearing back in, in school where uh, we talked about performing research and using the um, what some people refer to as the Likert scale. Others as the Likert scale, which is asking people, uh, like putting a statement out there and then people... Um, can respond on a spectrum of like strongly disagree to strongly agree and there's no neutral as a way to collect um, to collect data. And um, somebody was doing a symposium and talking about the Likert scale and somebody stands up and they say, it's the Likert scale. And they're like, no, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it's the Likert scale. And he's like, I'm Likert. It's the Likert scale. <laughs> and that's just always stuck with me. I want to be in a room where somebody goes, it's the GIF scale or the GIF scale, and um, but it wouldn't be a scale. It'd obviously be a, you know, a GIF. But alas, that always cracks me up to think about. In this case, well, I first of all, I that's a wonderful story, and I wish I had been there. That would have been pretty phenomenal. Uh, <laughs> I strongly the Likert, agree. The Likert one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say the person stood up and said, "I strongly disagree," but uh, that's way better. <laughs> Uh, oh, but God. as for GIF versus GIF, I actually, I say GIF because the creator says it that way, but I really agree with Taylor. If it were up to me, it would be GIF. The pun potential with GIF, I will say, is higher. So I have to agree. Um, the the GIF gift, it's, it's right there to be taken. Keeps on gifting. <laughs> yeah, the GIF. That keeps on I don't know. jiffing. I think you could come up ring. with other other uh, puns about this in a jiffy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nuts. <sighs> okay. Well, enough about this this peanut butter controversy. Jiff gif. Let's talk about the, the topic that has burned a hole in many's uh, nights of probably restless nights without sleep. Um, and fire drills, as my father-in-law loves to say, it's like charging hell with a squirt gun. That seems to be the story here with uh, Log4j. And it's a vulnerability. Um, this, this, I'll, sorry, I'll name the article first. Um, walking on Log4Shell vulnerabilities. And so Log4j is a vulnerability living inside a Java-based software known as Log4j. And again, it's turned into this fire drill over the past weeks. So, Tim, for anyone living under a rock, <laughs> what is Log4j or Log4Shell? And what have, them, what have the goings-on been for these past few weeks? Well, first of all, you know, we actually completely stepped on the point you were making about another holy war, which is, uh, is it, do you say it, Log4j or Log4j? 
I'm definitely in the log4j camp. It sounds like we are in general uh, here on Breaking Badness, but there's an entertaining meme about that dispute. So anyway, if you are a logforge person, sorry, we're going to be saying log4j throughout this article. So what's been going on? Well, on December 9th, it was revealed that there is a very, very significant vulnerability in an Apache logging library called log4j. Uh, to put it in perspective, people are calling this vulnerability in the way that all vulnerabilities have clever names these days, log4shell. And that tells us, Kelsey, what we need to know pretty much about the nature of the vuln, doesn't it? Pass in some parameters, get a shell. So uh, I'll give more details on that a little later, but just to set the scene here, the log4j library is used in the vast majority of Java applications used in Apache servers, and these things are not exactly obscure. So part of what we're going to talk about here is the wide scope of this vulnerability. But then the other reason that if you're listening to Breaking Badness, there's approximately 100% chance that you have already heard of this, uh, is that there is active exploit activity in the wild. And that's really what started on December 9th, was that a POC was posted. So now, having said that, it's worth mentioning uh, from the point of view of a lot of the scanning that has been observed in the days right after that exploit was made known, it did look like some of that scanning was benign uh, from vulnerability scanning that didn't look like it was of malicious origin, but do not take much comfort from that. There is plenty of exploitation going around. Uh, CISA announced uh, about two or three days after the, uh, ex after the exploit was announced that they are seeing, or at that time, we're seeing a big ramp up in known threat actors getting in on it. And we can only assume that things have not tailed off since then. Uh, Jen Easterly, the uh, super awesome head of CISA, whose first rodeo this decidedly ain't, said that this might be the most serious volume she's seen in her whole career. When looking for good information on InfoSec, look easterly. I like it. That's a good tagline. <laughs> Is that maybe that she used that in the job interview? Jen, I know you're listening. Um, when you meet up with T. Hanks for um, a holiday dinner, Perhaps you two could discuss this pun. I know you've been looking for some fodder because sometimes he can just be tough to speak to. He's just not as worldly as you, if we're being I, honest. So It's also possible that that pun was actually in the letter of recommendation that Chris Krebs undoubtedly wrote for Jen Easterly. I think Chris would be pro-pun in recommendation. I'm pretty sure. He yeah. was rocking some killer socks at the uh, conference I saw him at uh, a couple weeks ago. I think he's got a pretty good sense of uh of life in general he has his own security operations center ah ha, ha. Ah. very stylish ones too <laughs> <laughs> they all wear the same uh socks on their feet too it's kind of weird um and you you already played at this tim but is there a sense of of scope for how many organizations employ um log4j or forge well <laughs> a dissenter. Well, uh, can we just round up to all of them? I mean, I, I seriously think it would be easier probably to identify organizations that don't have Log4j running somewhere. Uh, I mean, hundreds of millions of devices are running this. Uh, all of the big players have it running somewhere. Your SaaS vendors, whether you're talking about from a B2B uh, you know, the sales forces of the world, et cetera, the Microsofts, uh, et cetera, of the world, or B2C standpoint are, or at least uh, very recently <laughs> were running Log4j somewhere and probably multiple somewheres. And uh, even though it's Apache, I, I would all but guarantee Microsoft's got some of it lurk lurking in there somewhere. So yeah, it's, it's just about everybody. That's right. If you're listening... And you have not heard of Log4j or done anything about this. Yeah, might pause the pause. podcast. <laughs> go, go run your asset discovery and vulnerability scanning uh, tools. Meow. Yeah. Take care of this. And then in three weeks, the podcast will still be waiting for you. Yeah. You probably won't enjoy this, the second part. Um, you'll, you'll wish that you had gone and, and taken care, care of this before. <laughs> you won't appreciate any of the Log4j puns. 
in that case for sure. <laughs> uh, well, Tim, why is Log4j so ubiquitous? Well, you know, I can't really put this any more elegantly or succinctly than the one and only Randall Monroe of XKCD fame did. Uh, so, and he did this long before this vulnerability was discovered. I would not normally describe a drawing in a podcast, but hear me out here. This one's worth it. It says in this XKCD, it says essentially the entire internet depends on, quote, a project that some random person in Nebraska has been thanklessly maintaining since 2003, unquote. And it shows your generic block diagram of a whole bunch of blocks and layers that represent modern digital infrastructure, where in this case, log4j is this one little tiny block that balances the whole stack and keeps it from collapsing. Uh, Apache is one of the most common open source server packages. Log4j is in Apache. By the way, Kelsey, I saw this one and thought you might appreciate it. What's a cure for Apache Log4j? What? Apache Log4j. <laughs> You're welcome. There was a um, something, Tim, you, you've identified through the tweeters, through our friend Alan Liska um, from Dandy Beyond, I believe is the account that deserves the credit for a particular joke re ransomware this is a little off kilter from what we're talking about right now but it just reminded me of of this do you know what i'm referring to oh yeah i i mentioned this uh, a couple of yeah a few days ago uh let's see what's the uh uh the cleric says uh good sir we heard that your village has befallen a terrible lycanthropic curse Villager. The werewolves did it. They say they can remove it, but they're asking for 100 bite coins. Cleric. Oh, no. Tell me it's not what I think it is. Villager. Yep. Ransomware. That's W-E-R. <laughs> big October energy there. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> that was a little late. A little late for spooky season. Well done, Dandy Beyond at Dandy Beyond on Twitter. Go find and follow them. May your life be dandy and beyond. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Tim. I just wanted to make sure we got to that. And back to the XKCD. One of my favorite things about that comic is, of course, the alt text. What was the alt text on that image you described? Well, Kelsey, that alt text would say it would be someday image magic. You may have seen this image magic with a K on the end. Someday image magic will finally break uh, for good, and then we'll have a long period of scrambling as we try to reassemble civilization from the rubble. <laughs> I haven't thought about image magic in a very long time. Gosh, Randall is so cheeky. Love that guy. Good work. Randall. I know it. You saw the future many times over. <laughs> I can't even remember. Like, what was the context where we would always where we would see like references to image magic? I don't know. We got a lot of old uh, image formats on the podcast today. <laughs> yeah, seriously, that is kind of what it's what it's about. But anyway, I, I don't remember exactly where that used to show up, but I remember that you know you'd see that you'd see reference to image magic fairly regularly if you were looking at around at nerdy stuff on the web. <laughs> oh gosh! Well, thank so you anyway, for that. Yeah, yeah, good comedic break. It's <laughs> it's this, the log4j is is in. Not everything, but an awful lot of things. Yeah, it, it is a thing where like the, the 2.x versions were uh, the stuff that was most vulnerable out of the gate, right? Yeah, that's right. Because like I, I know, you know, there are folks that stuck around, stuck on the 1.x version. Yeah, it's true. There are some holdouts that are really not even holdouts. Right I mean, I think now. that like if there are folks that are using like SLF4j as a wrapper for log4j, I think a lot of those folks are on 1.x because the 2.x stuff introduced features they didn't even want <laughs> well they like i say they're counting their blessings right now heck yeah although that stuff is still i think they're still finding the things are vulnerable it's still you need a lot more kind of prior privilege to to exploit them than just sending random strings off to servers to see what happens speaking of vulnerabilities how was the vulnerability of log4j discovered yeah so uh, i'm not sure exactly how it was discovered, meaning like what exact research or hacking was in progress 
to probe this specific library and with what intentions at the time. But what we do know is it was privately disclosed to Apache by Chen Zhaojun, which I'm probably terribly mispronouncing, sorry about that, of the Alibaba cloud security team back on November 24th, but publicly uh, on December 9th by a tweet, which is since deleted uh, from an account called uh, P0RZ9, not an account I'd ever heard of, but uh, and that tweet had a link to a GitHub repo that had uh, exploit proof of concept in it. And how, speaking of exploitation, how are attackers exploiting the vulnerability? What did that look like? Or what right. does it look so, like? <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, here, and and uh, actually, uh, Tay gave a little hint to this uh, a second ago, but here's the nasty thing. So because Log4j is a, wait for it, logging library, the way that you can get your shell here is by getting a particular string to be logged. And so... If you think about how logging works, there are tons of different ways that you could get a particular event to be logged. Uh, it can be passed into web servers, can be embedded in an email, you could put it into the username field of a login page. So uh, lots and lots of different ways to trigger the event that uh, starts the exploit into motion. And then as far as how it's being used, well, we know that some of the exploits are doing things like they're installing crypto miners, stealing credentials, um, basically just gaining unauthorized access to stage later attacks. Um, we are seeing articles, I saw articles today about uh, ransomware uh, events that are tied to uh, this vulnerability. So we'll hear about the whole range. That's part of the deal here, right? It just opens the door for you to do all kinds of different things. If your jam is... Um, industrial espionage, if your jam is geopolitical espionage, if your jam is cybercrime, in all cases, hey, if you can uh, find a vulnerable server running log4j, two dot something, not the patched version, then you have an excellent chance of gaining some unauthorized access into that system. Wow. Well said, Tim. And I'm taking a little bit of a Reinhardt turn a right hard turn here, but I know you've done some research into how this widely discussed vulnerability or exploit has resulted in what we refer to at Domain Tools as a domain bloom. So can you share a little bit about what a domain bloom is and what you're seeing uh, in the context of log4j in that, in that regard? Yeah, certainly. So a um, domain bloom is something that we talked about in our domain tools report uh, back last spring. And it was something that initially we kind of discovered in conjunction with COVID-related domains in the spring of 2020. But uh, basically, a domain bloom is a pattern of registrations that center on a particular word uh, it could be any string of characters, but where we notice these are uh, when they pertain to words that are in dictionaries. Now, in this case, uh, it's kind of a retroactive definition of this bloom because log4j wasn't really a word in any dictionary sense that we would use, but it is now for sure. So this is a bloom pattern. So anyway, what you see in a classic bloom is that the rate at which that word or string appears in domain registrations has some baseline average over time. Uh, if it's a really common word, then that baseline will be higher. If it's an obscure word, the baseline will be lower, but it has that baseline. And then you see a sudden rise in registrations that have that string in the domain names. And that elevated rate of registrations is sustained for multiple days before it tails off to either the original baseline, which would happen for words that are common already, like iPhone, or a new baseline for words that enter common usage, like COVID or now Log4j. So this bloom has been going on since that disclosure on December 9th. Um, it appeared to peak on the 14th, and it's been gradually decreasing, although there were a couple of slight bumps along the way, but it's been gradually decreasing since then. Now, it's important to point out this, there are not big absolute numbers here. So the, the record day was uh, just 19 domain registrations with Log4j in their name. So this is a tiny bloom compared to what we saw with COVID, where there were thousands and thousands of domains that were registered on a daily basis with COVID in their names. Um, 
but it definitely is following that bloom pattern. So more of a curiosity than something for defenders necessarily to watch out for. Although it's probably not a terrible idea to keep an eye on uh, seeing that in domain names, but probably what you will see, you probably will see it in your logs if you're logging your DNS or your web proxy or whatever. And what you're almost guaranteed to be seeing is the domain log4jmemes.com, which is definitely making the rounds. And Tim, you threw some of these domains up on our Security Snacks Twitter handle, if I remember correctly. Um, and if, if people are not familiar with Security Snacks, which is at Snicur- Security Snacks, Security Snacks, um, the the description, I think, says it all, which is hankering for bite size, hashtag threadental. Follow us for handcrafted analysis foraged by the Domain Tools Security Research Team, hashtag snack the planet, hashtag infosec. So, you know, for your um, tweeting pleasure, feel free to check those out. <laughs> yes, if you're interested in grabbing some indicators related to a, a fairly tiny domain bloom, go ahead and grab that. But, you know, we watch these domain blooms because when there's something, when there's a big societal event, that's where we're likely to see the big numbers. And Log4j, if you are in the InfoSec community, it's like a societal event for you. And actually, it is kind of a societal event. Just the average person in the general public doesn't really realize it. So you don't have thousands of people out there registering domains with Log4j in them. But um, but yeah, that's anyway, that's what blooms are about. And, and it was interesting to see that one was happening here. We might have shot ourselves in the foot there because when Tom Hanks... Uh, you know, eventually retweets this episode to promote it, it's going to expand the reach and we might expect more bloom. Um, so, oh, that's a we've good created point. A well, monster. Is, so this could be a, a, a camel uh, where it's a double hump bloom. Yeah. Uh, where the second one will be much bigger after the signal boost from Mr. Hanks. From T. Thank Hanks. You, Tom. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Oh, missed you at Thanksgiving this year, T. Hanks. Um, well, my final question here for you, Tim, is how can organizations protect themselves? What should they do, pray tell? Well, right. So remember the dumb joke, uh, I mean the outstanding pun, which I can't <laughs> take credit for, about a patchy log4j? That's the thing. So you need to identify your assets that are running this library and patch them. Uh now, very interestingly, in this case, there was a vaccine approach for this, which is not really what's formally being recommended, but which does seem to work, which is that you send a different string to be logged by that library, which causes it to be turned off. And that was released by Cyber Reason. It's kind of gotten mixed reviews. So really, your best bet, uh, your best bet if you were on 2. something already, is to go to 2.17.0, which as of the day that we're recording this here is the latest and recommended version. There was an initial uh, 2.16 patch, uh, which itself had some issues, but uh, for now at least 2.17.0 seems to be good. Or if, as Taylor mentioned, you're sitting there on the 1. version, maybe you stay there for now. But anyway... You know, in the big picture, these uh, the vulnerability, asset management, attack surface management, et cetera, all of those tools are definitely getting their day in the sun here without question. That doesn't mean that vendors of those products should be spamming people with, uh, <laughs> boy, there was quite a flame thread about that recently saying, uh, when there's a raging inferno, don't sell me ads for a fire truck. Come in here and help me put out the fire. Yeah, well said. I think that got a lot of a lot of important uh reach which is is great to see um and i think to sum up the uh the continuous patching it's just like patches patches all the way down uh, that's <laughs> that's where we're at um tim i think it's probably time to talk about the hoodie rating here after you did a fantastic uh, analysis and summary of all that has occurred since we all last got on this old thing. What would you rate this at? I'm absolutely going full spinal tap here and saying this one goes to 11. This is like <laughs> 10 out of 10. If we, if we're going to be strict about it, all the sirens are blaring and all the red lights are spinning. And uh, this is a big, big deal. And I think everybody listening to this probably already realizes that some of them aren't going to be hearing this until three months after they started because they (laughs) dropped the podcast and went out and 
discovered all their assets and patched stuff, and it took a long time. But um, there are plenty of pundits saying that this is going to be echoing for years, and that wouldn't surprise me. So, yeah, easily, to me, this is 10 out of 10. Taylor, what about you? Yeah, I'd have to agree. It's all all 10 of the hoodies, all the drawstrings, all the zippers, everything. It's, uh, you know, it's one of those, like, very broad uh, things that, that you're right, we're going to be feeling this for years as, you know, <clears throat> I think we may, it may get, like, I don't know, mitigated as an initial kind of entry point, uh, but for, and even that could take us a long time. But then, you know, thinking about moving laterally inside of a network or, uh, you know, thinking about devices that may have this stuff baked into it that aren't going to get updates. Uh, you know, yeah, I think that there will be a long tail to this uh, that will extend for a while. Great omens. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy holidays from Breaking Madness. <laughs> Here's our holiday card. Um, <laughs> speaking of, before we transition into our game, Two Truths and a Lie, I, I forgot to mention at the onset of the episode, this is actually our last Breaking Badness of 2021. And when the clock strikes midnight and it is 2022 and the world somehow resets and everything's okay again and we're not in a global pandemic and it's okay we could shake hands and be in each other's airspace <sighs> we'll be back then but i just wanted to make sure that i mentioned that so you weren't waiting by your phone when trying to get some space from family hoping to be saved by the podcast um, but of course you can continue to, to listen to all other 100 probably 30 episodes um, including our Voices from InfoSec series to hold you over. But with that, let us play Two Truths and a Lie. As a quick reminder, this is not dissimilar from the game you all grew up, grew up with, but rather than talking about ourselves, which we do too much of anyway, um, we'll have one co-host come up with three articles, two of which are true, one of which is a lie. And of course, there's a point system. And Taylor, aka Tay-Tay, you've inherited chad's point that's that's french for points so um don't worry you're not starting from zero my friend awesome <laughs> <laughs> and the old tim helming himself i believe is up this week to present us no this is the new tim helming new and improved <gasps> the new tim helming yes uh are you all ready <laughs> bow now yep 100 percent. let's go all right let's do this Article number one, Firefox puts coal in Redmond's stockings by stopping users getting to Microsoft.com. Article number two, Vulns are in the air again with state actors leveraging the Slack API to pwn airlines. And article number three, in true Grinch spirit, the FBI warns of new ransomware campaign targeting charities during their holiday push. Wow, 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 wow. Hmm. I have my suspicions. Mm -hmm. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go with number 3. Um I think that is true. But I don't know if that's happened this holiday Saison. Hmm. Oh, what was the first one again? Firefox oh. puts coal in Redmond stockings by stopping users from getting to Microsoft.com. Hmm. It sounds pretty cool. I'm gonna, yeah, I think I'm gonna go number two with the with the Slack uh airlines. Well, as it turns out, the FBI has not warned of <gasps> ransomware campaigns targeting charities that I know of. By the way, it's possible that that is going on, but I hope it's not. <laughs> so, Kelsey, a point for you. A point for me? A point for you? Well played. None for you, Taylor. <laughs> none for me. Oh, no. <laughs> none for you, Gretchen Wieners. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I... um. I referenced Mean Girls recently amongst youth, and they they have not seen that film, and it made me sad. 
Did you tell him it was Fetch? <laughs> so that never happened. We know that. That's all we know. Um, I went to a comedy show recently, and this uh, the the stand up comic was talking about um, how rough it is to be a dad raising a teenage daughter, and um, he said something along the lines of, "I think his name is Dustin." By the way, Dustin Nickerson, to give him credit, said something like, <laughs> Mean Girls, I am now convinced, is a documentary. <laughs> and one of his bits was something like, um, one of the girls, one of his daughter's friends came upstairs and goes, that's your dad? And he was like, I just went into my room and cried for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, I think Idiocracy is a documentary. It does kind of seem like it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, hey, listeners, we want to thank you for a wonderful 2021. It was so great to share our 100th episode with you. And we'll continue to to push these out week after week starting early next year. So I hope you have a wonderful holiday. Get some time away from... Um, the burning fire that is the internet. And um, I wish you a pageless holiday with, with mm. your loved ones. Seriously, just, just shut off all of the computer things, mm. turn off all the screens, accept whatever you're using to listen to Breaking Badness and catch up on prior episodes, uh, and then turn that off too. And you know, <laughs> go sit in front of a fire or something, or go skiing. Or if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, go surfing, but not on the web. Oh, boy. Well, everybody, have a wonderful holiday, and we'll be back in 2022 with some more Breaking Badness. Until then. Happy New Year. Don't drink and click. And Happy New Year. Yeah. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter, at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. Don't drink and click.